Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, it was the Apostle Peter when writing his letter in the New Testament in the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 4, verse 8, he writes, Above all things, have a fervent love for one another. Why? He says, for love covers a multitude of sin. Let me say that again. Peter, in writing, knows, and he says, listen, above all, he says, guys, above all things, have a fervent love for one another. It was Jesus who told us that we need to be loving each other. But he says, why? He says, because love covers a multitude of sin. And I think Pete knows the value of forgiveness. He knows that love covers a multitude of sin. You see, we know that Pete messed up a lot of times. Didn't we? Pete blew it a lot, and I'm going, man, I can relate. I can relate. You go, well, what did Pete do? Well, we know that Pete, Pete, Peter sinned with pride, right? I'll just die for you, Lord. He, he, he was in denial. He denied the Lord. He also knew the pain, come on, help me, church, of putting his foot in his mouth. Isn't that what Peter would do, right? Before, I mean, Peter couldn't even rewind. It was already in, oh, right? He's already in. It's like, ah, oh, Pete, what are you doing? Pete knew that. And although we're speaking metaphorically, I mean, Peter really didn't put his foot in his mouth, but Pete knew the pain of that. And so Peter, in writing this letter, gives us, guys, the reasons, if you will, for suffering. And then later in chapter 4, Pete shows us the reactions to that suffering, right? So let us, for just a moment, unpack what Peter's trying to tell us. Now, just listen to what he says. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and it says... But the end of all things is at hand. Pete is serious, okay? Pete is saying the end of all things is at hand. He says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Pete's thinking, this is it, guys. The world's going to come in that case. And then, I mean, we could just insert something right here that just blew my mind. It was in the state of New York just yesterday that the state of New York passed a bill right now that you can abort a baby even after it's born. All the way up, this is the state that passed that. And we said, wait, wait, Ben, ben that's murder. That's what they did. And, and so I've got several texts today going, what is the world coming to? What's this, what, are we, what, are we, what, are we, what are we doing? And, and so Pete here says, he says, guys, listen, the end of all things is at hand. Woe to you who call evil good and good evil. We're living in that world, aren't we? We really are. And then Pete says, above all things, okay, above all things, guys, above all the things that we're going to have to deal with, he says, have fervent love for one another. Why? For love covers a multitude of sins. And I think we can give an amen right there. Because love does cover a multitude of sins. And you go, well, what does it mean to cover a multitude of sins? Well, here, if you're taking note, to cover sin, guys, is to offer forgiveness. To offer forgiveness Because forgiveness is associated with love. Okay, okay, now now listen, I know what you're thinking. You're going, well, yeah, that's the preacher. The preacher's supposed to say that. He's supposed to say forgiveness, and you guys need to forgive each other. But, but, But think about it, what it's really saying, guys. If we're really going to, I don't know about you, but I've got a multitude of sins that I need covering, and love will do that. And God offers that through Jesus Christ on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. But I think for us, guys, if we're going to learn to cover sin is to forgive it. 
and forgiveness is associated with love. And I believe the best example of that, that love covers sin, is Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. That just shows it, right? Jesus' prayer, think about his prayer on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them, it says. Can you imagine? Father, forgive them. It's almost like he's looked far into the future and saw us, and he said, man, I know them. Father, forgive them. And where does that come from, guys? It comes from a heart of love. It comes from a heart of love. And I was looking at this, and I was like, wow. But Jesus actually goes one step further. He doesn't just say, I'm going to cover their sins. What does he do? He says, man, I'm going to just completely do away with it. Okay, I'm not going to just cover it. We don't want to just cover. I'm going to completely do away with it. Now, think about this, church. If we really want to reflect the love of God, where does it start? It starts with forgiveness. It starts with forgiveness. Jesus told his disciples, guys, a new command I give you that you love one another if I have loved you, that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Where does it start? Guys, forgiveness in its infancy starts with the love of Christ in your heart. Let me say that again, guys, because think about it. Because I know what you're thinking. If you're like me in any way, shape, or form, there are times where you go, man, I'm not going to forgive. That hurt. Mm-mm. That hurt, and and how can I forgive this, and how can I forgive that? And, 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 and there are many stories where you go, oh, but here's what it said. In its infancy, guys, forgiveness starts with the heart of love. And where do you get that heart of love? It's when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So when Jesus comes in your heart, think about it, guys. That's where it should start in its infancy, forgiveness. Now, listen to this. Listen to what Paul teaches us, Okay. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 7, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation real quick, but listen to what he says. He said, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You see what Paul is saying? He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, Paul says I would be nothing. Are you guys catching this? If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I'd have gained nothing. Why? He goes on, he says, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. Love is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not, listen to this one, it's not irritable. You need to jot that one down. And it says this. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? And here's why I wrote it in the New Living Translation. Because it keeps no record of being wrong. That's what love does. It does not rejoice about another injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never lose faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what Paul is wanting to teach us, guys. He says, love keeps no record of wrongdoing because love covers a multitude of sin. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Ben, that's a weird introduction. Why would you bring up 1 Peter chapter 4 and then you would jump over to Paul and talk about, about love and how it doesn't cover a multitude? What does this have to do with Genesis and what does this have to do with Noah? But listen, listen. I believe, guys, that the Old Testament, the New Testament is actually an illustration for us that Noah, if you believe it or not, was human just like us. And I believe those stories illustrate a need for forgiveness even when we make mistakes. You see, there are a lot of us who will go out and we will be irritable and we will do these things and, and, and we need that. We need God's love and we need to be forgiveness. And this illustrates what we're going to learn today in the book of Genesis. As we make our way to Genesis chapter, chapter 9, we'll learn some very valuable lessons. Now, if you're new at Calvary, here's what we do. We go verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. So sometimes when you're visiting and you come in in the middle of the teaching, you go, I don't know where he's at. So I'll have to go back and let me explain where we've been, okay? Remember what we've learned last week. Pastor, I wasn't here last week. Okay, stay with me, okay? We started off last week with this quote, right? It's not the darkness we fear. It's the light that most of us are afraid of. Now, that was a very interesting quote. Why? Because it actually employs, when you think about it, it's like people get so comfortable in the darkness that that's not even what they're afraid of anymore. They're actually afraid of moving forward. They're actually afraid of new beginnings. Let me, let me say it again. Let this, let this kind of sink in. It's not the darkness we fear. It's the light that we're most afraid of. And listen, it was a new beginning. We saw Brother Noah, right? We saw Noah and his family. Eight people survived, eight people in all. And what happens is the ark comes to rest, if you will, on the mountain of Ararat, right? That's where the, it comes. Five months they have been drifting. Five months they have been out to sea. Five months in the water, right? And so that's where they are. And, and, and so all of a sudden, they're just looking upon this flooded world, and it comes to a rest. Noah gets out of the ark, and you guys remember what the first thing he does? is he worships, and he worships. And I believe what a beautiful illustration it is to us. And you go, why? Because remember we talked about that we need to worship where? We need to worship before the storm. We need to worship during the storm. And then we worship after the storm. Okay, let me say this to you. You might be here this evening. You go, Pastor, I'm in the midst of the storm. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Pastor, I'm so worried. I'm so worried. I'm so, I have so much anxiety. Worry and worship can't go together. So I'm either going to do one or the other. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? I'm either going to worry and I'm going to bite my nails and I'm going to walk back and forth. I can't believe this and my heart pounding and, and all of this stuff. Or I'm going to, I'm going to put on some worship music and I'm going to worship the Lord. And you know what I found? Help me, church. I found that when we worship the Lord, the worry goes away. He's, he's bigger than my problems. He's bigger than my worry. And, and, so, and so you go, well, Ben, I'm not in the middle of a storm. Well, maybe you just come out of a storm. You just came out of a storm and you go, man, that was rough. What should we do, church? Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Now, here's our problem, okay? Just give me two minutes. Our problem in our culture is that we think worship is just music. Okay, we think, oh, worship is music. It's just music. And so what we do in the 20 minutes before the teaching, we play music and we'll sing and, and that's worship and we lift our hands and some, some of the music I like and some of it I don't. And No, no, worship is more than that, is it not, church? Worship is, well, it starts with prayer. Prayer is worship. 
Prayer, prayer, think about when you pray, okay? When you pray to God, guess what you're saying? I believe in you, God. I believe, because I'm praying and I believe you're going to hear me and you're going to answer me. Because if you didn't believe that, then you wouldn't pray. And so it's so important you go, okay, that's part of worship. That's part of worship. So sometimes you go, man, I'm going to get in my, I'm going to get in my room and I'm put music on and that's good. And you worship and you're singing to the top of your lungs and it's like, man, it's amazing. And there are other times when your worship is just pray. And you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm not getting up out of, I'm not getting up out of my knees until I hear your voice. I'm not, I'm not moving on until I feel the peace that you have in me. Your peace. That's worship. That's worship. What else? Well, worship can be serving. Worship can be serving. There's nothing that does makes your heart glad. And, 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 and when you put feet on faith and you become the hands and feet of Jesus, when you serve. It's hard to think, oh, woe is me. Help me, church. Oh, woe is me when I'm serving somebody else who's less fortunate than me. Oh, Lord, what a blessing. God, I'm so, I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm so thankful. So Noah comes out, guys, he worships. He worships. And so right after the big, beautiful worship service, here's what I love. God blesses Noah. God blesses Noah. And the word bless means to what? To adore and to honor and to bless. And, and here's the thing. We've got to be careful. When we say bless, right? How many times do we say? You'll hear this. Have a blessed day. Have God bless you, Right? We got to be careful because culturally we're thinking that it could be monetarily or it could be materialistic. God's going to bless me. I'm going to get that check. So you go to the mailbox. That's oh, not there. Blessings can be so much more. Jot this down if you're taking note. Blessings can mean peace in our home. Peace in our home. Blessing can mean food in our bellies. Blessing. Because here's what we don't understand, church. It hasn't moved from here to here. I think Joe said that this is the longest trail, this 18 inches. But, but here's what it is, guys. If we were to, if we were to go by world standards, by world standards, right? The fact that you ate today, if you had a meal, now some of you go, I haven't eaten anything. I'm sorry. But if you ate today, by world standards, you're considered rich. By world standards. And if you had two meals, if you had dinner, you had three meals, if you had a snack along the way, whatever it might be, guys, we're considered rich. And so that's God blessing us. That's God blessing us. You go, what else? Guys, here's one thing that I just want to just, a blessing can be the wonderful memories you have as you spend time with each other. The wonderful memories. I think a warm bed, can I get an amen? Soft bed? <laughs> right? There's a lot of people that are sleeping on cardboard boxes or wooden planks. We're blessed. We're blessed. How about this? How about running water? What a blessing, right? What a blessing. You can go to your faucet and turn on some water and there it comes. I think a blessing can be good friends. Friends that love you. These are all blessings, guys. And it can mean so much more. So I want you to be careful that we're not caught up culturally thinking it's only finances. You know what? Somebody has a blessed, have, have a blessed day. Amen. I am already blessed. If you had coffee today, 
and you're blessed. Okay? And so what we learned last week, guys, is God blesses and then he introduces Noah to a new covenant. Okay? Brand new covenant. It says in verse 8, and then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him saying, as far as me, behold, I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of of the earth is with you, that all go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus, I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall I, shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I made between you, between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in a cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Your attention, please. Last week we learned there are four, there's actually, there's actually seven elements to the Noahic covenant. We learned the first four. Okay, here it was. Man is responsible to protect the sanity, uh, sanctity, excuse me, of human life by orderly rule over individual men to give, even to capital punishment. Okay, that's the first of it. Number two, no additional curse was placed on the ground, nor is man to fear another universal flood. Okay, the rainbow reminds us. We learned that the, that the order of nature is confirmed. You will have dominion over the animals. And number four, the flesh of the animals is added to man's diet as well as vegetarian. So in other words, what did he say? You can have steak and you can have salad. That's what he said. That's part of the covenant, okay? And so then last week, we finished up with verses 18 and 19. Now, let's take a look at him real quick as we use that as a run and go into our text today. Now, the sons of Noah went out from the ark. Who were they? They were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. From these, the whole earth was populated, okay? Your attention, please. Eight people got out of the ark, okay? It blew our mind. Everyone else died. God began to repopulate. Who were the sons? We had Noah, okay, and Mrs. Noah, I don't know her name, and you have Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives, and they begin to repopulate the earth, and that's where we pick up our story, okay? And if you're taking note, I'm calling this message, naked and drunk, yet love covers a multitude of sins. Look at verse 20 with me. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and he became uncovered in his tent. Now, the first thing we notice, guys, in our text today is that Noah changes occupations. You go, what do you mean? Well, before, obviously, we know he was a carpenter. He was a builder, right? He built an ark. That's probably what he did. Now he's a farmer, okay? He's a farmer. And so what does he do? He goes out, and the Bible says that he plants a vineyard. He plants a vineyard. Now, if you recall, on Sunday mornings, we're in the book of John, and in our John study, we learned um, that if you want really, really good tasting grapes, okay, if you want really good taste, it, it takes about five to six years to have sweet grapes, five to six years. And then if you really wanted, if you really wanted quality grapes, okay, even just better grapes, sometimes the good wine would take up to five all the way up to 20 years, okay? So this is what we learned. And you go, well, pastor, what's the point? Well, so in thinking about Noah, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to jot down. It's possible that five to all the way up to 20 years have already passed since the ark came to rest. 
And you go, why is that important? Guys, think about it, okay? The Bible gives us what we need to know, but necessarily doesn't give us all the details. It doesn't say, now, here we go, it was this day and this day, and Noah, Noah got out, and the second day he did this. We got to piece it together. We got to do some work, okay? But we do know that if you want really, really good tasting wine, it takes a long time for the grape to come through in the vineyard, in the vineyard, five, six years, all the way up to 20 years. But here's why I was encouraged. Every time I think about a vine or a vineyard, it always encourages me in my walk. And you go, how so? If you recall back in John chapter 2, right? Jesus' first miracle was in the city of Cana, right? What did he do? Do you remember that? He turned the water into wine. That was incredible, okay? He turns the water into wine. Now you go, what does that mean? If it takes 5 to 6 to 20 years for really good wine, you know what Jesus did just there? He compressed time. He compressed 20 years and he said, boom, wine. And it's so, and it's so amazing. And you go, why? It was so amazing because, because Jesus made a really good batch of wine. The steward goes, this is like really good. Actually, the way we do things is that we put out the good wine first. And when everybody gets drunk, we put out the, you know, the wine that comes in the box that nobody cares about. And he goes, not you, Jesus. You, this is like, you did amazing. And you go, well, pastor, what's your point? Well, think about this, guys. Think about this. This encourages me because my Jesus just showed me that he is Lord over time and actually over space. You go, what do you mean? Well, you can believe that if you pray right now, Jesus in heaven right now can actually heal you or help you, whatever you need. Okay? Sometimes we pray. And and I mean, think about this, right? Because he is the Lord of time. If he can compress grapes that take 20 years to make good, boom. He can hear me when I pray and he can heal me right now. Guys, you got to believe that. That's something you got to believe. Okay? Because the enemy wants to go, oh, well, see, you pray, but it's going to take forever. See, your prayers have got to go through certain channels. And it's got to go here, and it's got to go there, and it's got to bump there, and then, and then maybe Jesus will get it, you know? No, 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 no. We, we, he's the Lord of time. And when I think of Vineyard, I think of him doing that. I think of it just amazing. It's just amazing. And it brings just, and, and see, maybe today you just needed that. You see, maybe you've come here and you're discouraged. And you're sitting here and you're just coming, going, Pastor, you just, I just don't know if you know what's going on in my life, but I really need a touch from Jesus. See, today, that you can call to him, and because he's Lord over, over time and over space, he can hear you and he can heal you. He can walk with you. And he's always there. He's always there. I'm so encouraged by that. Back in our text, guys, in, in Genesis chapter 9, in verse 21, everything changed. You go, what do you mean? It says, then Noah drank the wine and was drunk and he became uncovered in his tent. Now we have to do some work, okay? We have to do some work. Why? Because there are people in the world that would take a passage like this and then say, okay, here's what the Bible says. It's okay to get drunk. Noah did it. See, Noah did it, right? And it's okay to get drunk. Noah's drunk. He's naked. It's okay. Now listen, church, let me just say this, okay? Okay. 
we have to unpack it. We have to just we have to just we have to dig a little bit deeper. Okay. First and foremost, we here's what I want you to know. If you look back at verse 21, guys, in your Bibles, it says, "Then Noah drank the wine." You can circle that word because this is the first time it's ever used in Scripture. Wine is used in Scripture. Okay, this is the first time that it's used in Scripture. Noah is getting drunk, and he's become naked. Now, here's what we need to understand. You guys with me? There is no prohibition against wine. The Bible does not say, thou shalt not drinketh wine. It, it doesn't say that. Okay? So you'll have people that go, hey, it's not in the Word. And so, and you go, okay. But it does say, it does have a prohibition against getting drunk or drunkenness. You guys see the difference? Okay? You go, what? Well, first of all, Paul writes this in the New Testament. Jot this down. Galatians chapter 5, picking it up in verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. You go, what are they? Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, and it goes drunkenness. Rivalries and the like, which I tell you beforehand, and I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. So what do we jot down? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians, first and foremost, okay, now now listen, look at me. There is no prohibition to wine, but there is to drunkenness. Now, Paul says, you want to see a work of the flesh? It's when you get drunk. It's the flesh is evident. It's when you get drunk. It's drunkenness. It's a work of the flesh. It's evident. And you go, wow, okay. Drunkenness is a work of the flesh. Well, what else? Well, Peter jumps on the bandwagon, right? Jot this down. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3. It says, for we have spent enough, listen to this, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He's going, listen, we've wasted enough time getting drunk. He says, we, we, we've done that. We, we've walked that way. We need to be different. We need to be set apart. Luke chapter 21, verse 34 says this, quote, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come, and, and that day will not come upon you suddenly like a trap. So even Luke says, hey, be on guard. Be on guard. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 and 10. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You go, Pastor, so what are you saying? What Noah did right here was wrong. He planted a vineyard, he fermented the grapes, and Noah got drunk. Could we agree? Could we agree that what Noah did was wrong? Okay? The word wine here, guys, is used, guys, for the first time, but it wasn't the first occasion for drinking. See, Noah would have already known this. How so? 
If you, if you jot this down, Matthew chapter 24, verse 38, it says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day Noah entered the ark. So, so Noah knew what was happening. Noah's like, listen, I knew all about drinking. Wine, that's the first time the word wine was used, but Noah knew that there was drinking. And what does drinking lead to? Drunkenness. That's what usually happens. Okay? So Noah knew, Noah knew the effects of drinking. He knew that was going to lead to drunkenness. So what do we find? We find that Noah is drunk. Okay, no, I get it. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to go back. Look at the text, guys. Look at the text. Okay, go to verse 21. Then Noah drank wine. Noah, don't do that. And was drunk. Noah, don't do that. He became uncovered. But here's what I want you to see. Circle this. In his tent. Do you guys see that? In his tent. You go, Ben, why is that important? Well, here's the thing. The effects of the wine, probably, Noah starts off, he's having a glass of wine, he's having a little bit more wine, he's having a little bit more wine, and then all of a sudden, probably the effects, I'm just saying, it's just my opinion, so I'm standing over here, he probably just became hot, he probably just got hot, and so in his tent, he just took off his clothes. That's what the word uncovered means. He just, he just, he became, he became naked. He became naked, okay? The Bible uses the term uncovered, but here's what I want you to see. It means to reveal oneself, to lay bare, to uncover, to be naked. So what do we learn? There's Noah. Hey, how y'all doing, right? He's drunk, and, and so he's just like, he, but, but here's what I want you to see. He's not out in the village. He's not at the local tavern. Hopefully there's not one. <laughs> he's in his tent, and he just, Noah. Noah. Okay? I want to point out that Noah should have not drunk so much that he became drunk, right? He shouldn't have. Here's why. Because Paul tells us, guys, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, which will ruin your life. He says, instead... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Noah, what, what, what's going on? Well, all we know is that it happened. Noah did drink, and he lay naked in his tent. The drinking is wrong, but here's what I want you to see. His son, Ham, made things even worse. Guys, note verse 22 with me. It says, and Ham... The father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside, outside. Now, here's what I want you to see. Okay, let's dissect it just a little bit. This verse gives us some insight into some timeline. You go, how so? We kind of guess, most, most commentators guess that it's been about 20 years since the ark came to rest. You go, why would you say that? 20 years after the flood. Well, here's why. Because if you read the text, it says Canaan whose conduct was going to be actually more offensive than even his father, was not born until after that event. So it just kind of says, then Ham, the father of Canaan, okay? So he says, this is Ham, his son. Uh, he's the father of Canaan, Canaan his son. He said, saw the nakedness of his father. Guys, if you're taking note, you go, what does it mean that he saw the nakedness? 
Well, the word saw in the Hebrew means gazed with satisfaction. Gazed with satisfaction. So I want you to picture the scene. Okay? Noah, Noah plants a vineyard. Now, Noah, we love Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man. He was a preacher of righteousness. He kept telling people, get saved, get in the ark, get in the ark, get in the ark. They didn't want to. God flooded the earth. He started out. So now he plants a vineyard. He sees some grapes. He started on the grapes. He said, hey, I wonder if I smash these grapes, what will happen, and I'll drink it. And I think he might have known. But now we know that he's naked, right? He's drunk, and he's naked in his tent. His son Ham saw gazed with satisfaction the nakedness of his father. And you go, Ben, what does that mean? What does that mean? Listen, I don't know, and I'm not sure why Ham stayed looking at Noah. I don't know why he gazed in satisfaction. Some schools of thought at this particular junction of scripture, some schools of thought seem to think that Ham had some kind of sexual relations with his father. He saw his nakedness. Okay, so some people go, oh yeah, that's Sam, you know, Ham did something to his father. He he went in the tent and he looked and he gazed with a great satisfaction and some people will point to that. Okay, now let me just tell you this, when it comes to the Bible study, we don't know. And you go, what do you mean? Okay, well, if you look, guys, if you look just a little bit further, it says, look at verse 24. And, and here's, what would, here's what trips people up. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger brother had done to him. And it almost implies like something was actually done to him. And so people go, oh, okay. So Ham went in there and said, oh, wow, this is interesting. We don't know. That's some school of thought, okay? I want to throw it out there. Others, others believe that this gaze of satisfaction was that he could now ridicule and make fun of his dad, Noah. That's what he's going to do. This text seems to indicate the latter simply because the first thing that Ham does is he tells his brothers. That's the first thing he does. And we also can say that later on we learn that Noah knew what had happened, and this may only be due to the fact that the whole village knew because he says he told with delight what Noah had done. So Noah wakes up and you go, oh my goodness, and the whole, everybody else knew because Ham was like, oh, look at that. Look at this crazy old man. He's sitting there naked. Oh, I'm going to go tell everybody. Let me tell my brothers. It could be that. If I may for a moment pull us to the future. Let's say that Ham was that guy that decided to make fun of his dad to tell his brother, oh, look, dad is naked, what a fool, blah, 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 whatever it might be, right? How, do, how, do, how, how would we apply this portion of Scripture to our lives? You know, how would you, you, you do that? And I thought, well, you know what? Here's what we could do, right? And I thought, what, what should we do when the world mocks us? 
when the world teases us, when the world actually ridicules us. Now, again, it's in the context where it's not that they're ridiculing us because we've done something silly or dumb, but they do ridicule us because we're Christians, and they also ridicule us because we make mistakes. They mock us because we make mistakes, right? What's the first thing they say? Oh, is that what Christians do? I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I, I blew it. I'm human. But they'll mock us. And they'll, So, what sh- what, guys, what should we do? I mean, what should we do when the world does that? Whether it be for our faith, well, you're a Christian. Look, you're wearing a Christian T-shirt. You pray. You read your Bible during lunch. Whatever it might be. You don't, you don't listen to the dirty jokes. You excuse yourself. Whatever it might be in your life, you're taking a real amazing stand for Jesus and, and you're going to be... Are we going to be mocked? Absolutely. Are we going to be ridiculed? Yeah, we sure are. So whether it's our faith, whether, whether we're, we're, we're mocked for our faith or whether we take a tumble or a fall or when we blow it, what should we do? Well, according to Charisma News, it gives us three things that we should do. You ready? Jot this down. Number one, don't get defensive. Don't get defensive, okay? No throat punches, okay? When people mock, when people mock you. It, Peter reminds us, guys, in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to the... So, guys, if we're in the last days, we're going to be, we're going to be mocked. There's going to be scoffers. So we don't want to get defensive. We don't want to get defensive. You go, what else did it say? Never lash out in anger. Oh, I can't believe you. You know, oh, you messed up so bad. Never lash out in anger. When Jesus was reviled, Peter also reminds us that he didn't revile back when he suffered. He didn't threaten. So we don't want to lash out in anger. And you go, what was the last thing we should do? Well, when I'm mocked, guys, Jesus reminds us to pray for our enemies. To pray for them. Pastor, that's hard. It is hard. And that's why we need God's supernatural spirit inside us, because it is hard. When somebody mocks me, what do we want to do, guys? Our first our first reaction is defense. Wait, wait, wait. Well, let me whoa, whoa, whoa. hold on. Hold on a minute. Let me sell you about you. Listen, let me see, let me show you what you even if it listen, even if it is a fellow brother. We, we do that. And then when we don't get anywhere being defensive, what do we do? We get angry. But what we really should do is say, okay. Let me ask you a question, church. And this is, this is some good application. What should you do when somebody ridicules you or mocks you or I don't know, scoffs at you because you blew it, because you made a mistake. What should you do? You know what we should do? We should own it, right? Hey, man, I saw that you did this, this, and this. And you're going, yeah, amen, pray for me. I'm a mess. Thank God for the cross, huh? Well, how are they going to defend that? They're like, you're agreeing that you're a mess? Absolutely. Well, I thought you Christians were perfect. Oh, no, us Christians, we got issues. We got lots of issues. We're, we're, I mean, seriously, we're, we're messed up. But we love Jesus. Yeah, but you, did you see what you did? I know. Wasn't that a bad attitude? I'm so sorry. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but God's still working on me on that attitude. Did you pray for me? What are they going to say, right? Own it. Why? Because that's who we are. 
that's who we are. Sometimes we're irritable. Sometimes we're, you know, sometimes we come home in a bad mood. Sometimes we just had a rough day and somebody says, hey, well, is this how you're supposed to act? You go, oh, I'm sorry. It really isn't, but, you know, thank God for the cross. I'm going to take it to the cross. I'm going to send the blood. Send the blood. Back in our text. Verse 23. But Shem and Jabeth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Ham comes out and says, Fellas, look what I saw. <laughs> look at dad. Why? Oh my goodness, what a fool. Are you kidding me? Come on, look at that. And the brother said, no, 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 no. So they took and they went backwards and they didn't look at dad laying there drunk, naked, and they just covered him. And they just covered him. I thought, wow. Can we agree that, that Noah sinned? Can we agree? Noah sinned. But I want to show you two reactions to sin. You go, what are they? Well, the first, we see Ham's reaction. Ham's reaction was to gaze with satisfaction, whether it was mocking or whether he, you know, he did something or whether he thought something in his mind, whether he was perverted in his mind, whatever it might be. We know that Ham's reaction was ridicule, mock, and scoff. Look at that. Look at Noah. Look, you're supposed to be this Christian, this preacher of righteousness. And that's what a lot of people do, guys. To sin's reaction, what do they do? They but his brothers, guys, Shem and Japheth, their reactions were a little bit different. You go, what were they? They turned away from it. They didn't entertain it. They covered they honored his dad, their dad, and they covered his nakedness. And you go, why? Because love, guys, love covers a multitude of sins. And I believe that Shem and Japheth loved their dad and they didn't want to see him in that way or for anyone else to see him that way. So Noah woke up from his wine. He knew what his younger son had done to him. And so now we have the three elements, the final three elements of the Noahic covenant, guys. And it's, it's in verse uh, 25 through 27. It said, he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in tents in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. Okay? I'm going to give you the elements real quick, and then we'll come back and dissect this. The fifth element of the Noah covenant, guys, is the prophetic declaration right here, is made to the descendants of Canaan, one of Ham's son. What is the declaration? That they will be servants. That's the fifth the sixth element is actually a prophetic declaration that's made to Shem. He would have a very unique relationship to the Lord. The seventh element is prophetic declaration made to Japheth. 
he would have an enlarged clans and race. Okay, so three more of this covenant. But here's what I want you to see before we move on. Okay? I want you to see the gospel message in verses 25, 26, and 27. And you go, why is that? Okay, I'm going to explain to you in just a minute. Okay, I'm going to explain to you a little bit of what's going on. But before we move on, okay, so, okay, wait, Ben, you're confusing me. Okay, we got the gospel, and I'll show you that in just a minute, okay? But let's go on, because I want to show you what we do see. We see a couple of things. You go, what's that? Noah curses Canaan. And and doesn't that make you go, why would he curse Canaan? This is, Ham is the one who saw him. Ham's the guy who went in, right? What what happened? Why would he curse Canaan, right? And uh, we don't know. We don't know if Canaan had anything to do with Noah's nakedness. Now, let me just say this. Okay, I'm going to throw it out there. You can make, you can decide. Some suggest that he might have seen Grandpa Noah first, and then went and told his dad. We don't know. I'm just that's. Some people said, "Hey, well, that's. I mean, why would Dad curse Canaan? We don't know. We can do a lot more digging, guys. It would take us two or three more studies. I guarantee you. We know." That guys, but what we do know is that Canaan, that son, is cursed. Ham is actually punished because he dishonored his father, but the Canaanites, what happened that they were cursed. But the problem is now, and you got to grasp this, is that they were, they became extinct a long time ago, so the curse cannot be applied to anyone or anyone in, anywhere anymore. I mean, that, that's done. This is, this is Canaan, okay? Number two, notice what it says. And Noah blessed. Who did he bless, guys? Help me out here. It says, blessed be the Lord. He blesses the Lord, the God of Shem. And I thought that was interesting because I thought he would bless Shem. Cursed be Canaan. Blessed be. He's like, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Where do you see the gospel message in this? Well, here's what we see. God, guys, what what he's saying is that God is going to be, or, or, or Yahweh will be Shem's God and Shem's blessing. And you go, what does that mean? Why is he going to have a unique relationship with the Lord? Because out of Shem, that's where the Jewish people come from. Okay. But Japheth is going to actually spread out. And we're going to be able to dwell where? In Shem's tents. Okay? So under the... you guys, Are you guys tracking with this? Can you see it? Because Jesus came as a Jew and died on the cross. And we're descendants of Japheth, if you will. We're, we're actually saved by the blessing of Shem, or blessing of the Lord of Shem and Japheth. So Noah blessed the God of Shem. The Jewish people came from Shem. Okay, guys, let's close. Let's close our Bible study with the last two verses. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, here's what we learn in closing, guys. We, learn, we can learn a lot from Noah, right? Here's what I want you to see. 
and wants you to grasp, Noah made mistakes. Oftentimes, guys, in our walks, we'll take someone like Noah and we'll put him on a spiritual pedestal. Oh my goodness, I wish I could be more spiritual. Noah, Noah was a righteous man. But here's what I want you to learn. We're going to make mistakes in life. We're going to blow it at times. Noah was just as human as you and I. But pastor, what should I do when I make a mistake? Own up to it. Own it. Amen. I did it. Yeah. Let's not let's not let's not be like um let's not be like Adam, right? When Adam sinned, he blame shifted right away, didn't he? That woman you gave me, Lord, is her fault. Man, if you had never gave her to me, right? Here's what cracks me up about Adam. Adam, just a few verses earlier, was singing poetry. Oh my goodness. Wow, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my oh my goodness, she's so good looking. She is hot. And then they sent, he's like, I don't know what you brought her in here for, Lord. I don't know. Her suitcase are packed. She got to go. Let's not blame shift. What should we do when we make mistakes? Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I own it. I own it. We have to get to the place, guys, where we understand that God sees us as perfect because of Jesus, but we're far from perfect. And we're going to say stuff, and we're going to do stuff, and we're going to... I own it, Lord, forgive me. Confess it quickly. Confess it quickly. Ask the Lord, boom. That's Noah. Noah's what? Noah's human. He made mistakes. And even though, listen to this, guys, Peter wrote the New Testament way after Noah died. And even though Noah blew it, even though Noah got drunk, even though he was naked in his tent, Peter in the New Testament still calls him righteous. Why? Because love, guys, covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. So what can I take away from this? What can we take away? Number one, don't be a ham. You go, what do you mean? When someone sins, when someone makes a mistake, don't gossip about it. Okay? Don't gossip about it. Don't be going telling people, did you know what he did? Did you know what she did? And here's how we do it as believers, okay? I'm going to call you all out, okay? I'm going to call us out. Here's how, we, here's how we gossip about somebody's sin. Will you pray about this? We need to pray because blah, blah, blah did this and this and this. And, and we'll give details. And in the name of prayer, we're actually gossiping. When we should just say, God knows, will you pray for brother so-and-so? Will you pray for sister so-and-so? They need, they need some help in prayer. That's not our job, guys. That's not, don't be a ham. Don't go, oh, did you see Noah? Number two, don't overlook sin. Don't overlook sin, sin or sweep it under the rug. Sometimes we have to bring it to light. Those things so people can return to the light. But Jesus gives us, actually gives us instruction. He says, first take the what? He says, first take the log out of your eye. Okay? And then you'll be able to see the speck in your brother's eye, which means that your brother has a speck. And so what Ham should have done 
his ham should have removed the log from his eye before he said, Noah, Dad, you did this, this, and this. And what a great admonition for us, is it not? We don't just go, oh, well, they're sinning, they're sinning. We, we bring it to light because we love people, not because we're gossiping or anything about it. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. We love people that much that we have their best interest at heart. And you will, you'll get those, right? You'll get those, judge not, lest you be judged. I'm not trying to judge. I just, I just know what God's word says and, and here's, where, here's where you are. But I've got a great solution. God can, God, can, God can save you. God can forgive you. He's offering forgiveness right now. You go, what's the third thing we should do when it comes to sin? Forgiveness. Work on forgiving others for their mistakes. Because if we don't, a root of bitterness can get in our hearts and grow. Did you hear what I said, church? I'm not going to give you a Band-Aid verse and say, you just need to forgive everybody. Because I know there's times where it's hard. Somebody hurts you really bad. And there's boundaries because you can't be around that person anymore. I understand that. Here's the key word I use. Work on starting to forgive. Work on forgiveness. But that should always be in your heart, forgiveness. Because Jesus forgave us. Amen. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you that love covers a multitude of sin. We thank you for Peter writing it, Lord. And we thank you, God, that um, above all things, Lord, that we should have a fervent love for one another. Lord, this isn't a love where we just kind of high-five each other and we don't care about each other, but this is a fervent love. And love will cover a multitude of sin. So Lord, as we, as we look to worship you in just a moment, Lord, as we look to sing to you in just a moment, Lord, maybe there's somebody here tonight, God, that is in desperate need of you. And you're so beautiful and you're so wonderful. You followed them all the way to church, God. And they're here tonight, Lord. And through the message, you began knocking in their heart. You've been knocking on their spirit. You've been knocking. And so, and so now, Lord, the only thing left to do is offer an invitation and pray that people respond. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you're here today. And if you're being completely honest, you're not saved. And if you're here tonight and you're saying, Pastor, I, I, you were saying some stuff and some lights were going on and you said love covers a multitude of sin and I'm, I have sins and I have all this guilt in my life. Well, I'm here to tell you, you may feel like you're just, <laughs> God is so far from your life, but you're also one decision away from coming to know him. But you've got to surrender. You go, Pastor, what do I need to do? Here in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to lift up your hand. Well, what do I have to lift up my hand? I want God to see your heart. Well, what does it mean if I lift up my hand? Here's what you're saying. By lifting up your hand, you're acknowledging that you're a sinner and you want God to save you. You want him to come into your heart. You want him to forgive you of your sin. 
you want to receive the beautiful grace that God has given you. But you have to do it. Nobody else can do it for you. Well, Pastor, what are people going to think? Nobody's going to see you. It's between you and God. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to say, God bless you, and then I'm going to pray for you. So if you're here tonight and God is touching your heart, not me, not the words that I said, not the message that I preached, but God. If you're here tonight and you want a right relationship with Jesus, will you just lift up your hand right now? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be right with God. I want to get my life straight right now. I want to, I want to receive his forgiveness and his love and his mercy. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Will you just lift up your hand? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you to my right over here, young men. Anyone else? Anyone else wants their sins forgiven right now? You just lift up your hand and say, Jesus, Pastor, pray for me. Anyone else? If you lifted up your hand, you can put them down. Nobody's going to see you, but this is what you want to say to God. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want to be made right with you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you have a plan for me, and I'm asking you to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my God and be my Savior and be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus, forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you see Pastor Santos over there? He's going to be in the back. And here's what we want to do. He's going to pray for you. Everybody see him over here? If you lifted up your hand. He wants to give you a Bible. He wants to give you a Bible. He wants to pray for you. He wants to give you a Bible. And this Bible is really unique because it's a Bible that will help you grow in your walk. So if you lifted up your hand and you're saying, okay, I really mean it, Pastor, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up out of your seat. Just go back to the back area. And he's going to give you a Bible and he's going to pray with you. Would you do that for me? Would you be, would you be that courageous? He's gonna. He's, you're gonna just acknowledge to him. All right. Good move. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this new life. Thank you, God. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.